Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I have many names. On my birth certificate, my name is given as James Michael Arcadi. But from birth until about fifth grade, everyone called me Jamie. In, in, in fifth grade, um, I, in school, I, I sat next to a classmate, and her name was Jamie. And when the teacher would ask a question and would point to us, and she'd call out Jamie, we'd both start talking, and that was really confusing. And so at one point, wise fifth grader as I was, I turned to her and said, look, I have two names. You only have one name. I'll go to James, and then we can alleviate this confusion. And, and that's stuck ever since, although I have a few aunts who still call me Jamie. But in other contexts, I have different names. Uh, there are three residents of my house who call me Daddy. On your bulletin, you'll see that I'm styled in a rather formal manner as the Reverend Dr. James M. Arcadi. In and around church context, people call me Father James or Father Arcadi. Uh, or this fall, I'm teaching a few classes at the grad school at Wheaton College, where my students will call me Dr. Arcadi or Professor Arcadi. And each of these names is, um, they're all, all refer to me and they're all appropriate for me, and I'll answer to all of them. But all of these names are apt of me in the context of a particular relationship that I have with the one using the name. If I today were to hear someone call me Jamie, I would probably think of one of my aunts. And if someone on the street said, hey, Professor Arcadi, I'd immediately think this is one of my students. Or if I hear Daddy, I know this is only one of three people in the world. Each of these names uh, evokes in me a feeling or a response relative to the role that I play in the context of that. I sometimes tell my students that I have a slight preference for Professor Arcadi because when I hear the word professor, I'm reminded of my vocation to profess the truth, to profess that which I have learned. Or in our version of the Anglican tradition here, uh, I never tell anyone that they must call me Father James or Father Arcadi. I just tell people to call me whatever is pastorally significant for you. But when someone does refer to me as father, this evokes in me a, a feeling of this vocation that I have to pastor and to care and to love the person calling, that by, calling me by that name. It's appropriate to our relational dynamics. In our gospel reading this morning, in Matthew 16, we have two instances of individuals being called by names or titles that deeply reflect the relational context in which the speakers found themselves. Jesus is referred to by Simon Peter as the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus gives Simon a new name, Peter, to mark Simon Peter's acceptance of the reality of Jesus' identity. I think then that, that we too, as we put ourselves in Simon Peter's place, can likewise live into these profound implications of both the names we use to refer to Jesus and the name that he uses to refer to us. So let's catch a bit of the narrative here where we find ourselves uh, with Jesus this morning. Uh, our reading from Matthew 16 comes after Jesus had been doing a series of miracles and healings and teachings in and around the region of the Sea of Galilee. Clearly, there had been some buzz about Jesus reverberating around the towns. When we come to our story in verse 16, uh, Jesus and his followers are in Caesarea Philippi on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's at this point, Jesus, likely aware of the, the buzz, asks his students, his, his followers, his disciples, um, what, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? You can imagine the disciples sort of 
sighing and looking at each other and saying, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah or another prophet. But then the narrative seems to, to narrow to an almost personal level. Jesus asks not just what a bunch of randos think about him. He, he makes it specific to his students right then and there. He says, but who do you say that I am? And then one student, Simon Peter, opens his mouth to make his reply. Now, there's a lot of names that Simon Peter could have responded with that would have been appropriate. He could have said, you're Jesus, or you're Jesus Mary's son, or you're Jesus from Nazareth, or you're Rabbi Jesus, our teacher. Any of these names would have been true, would have been apt of Jesus, but they would perhaps not be quite as deep as what Simon actually says. And I think Simon here says something much more provocative and much more profound. He replied to Jesus and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do these names, these titles for Jesus, tell us about the relational dynamics at play between Jesus and Simon? Well, when Simon refers to Jesus as the Christ, he's using something of a technical term that indicates he recognized Jesus as the Messiah, that the promised one whom the prophecies from the Old Testament foretold. Christ from, comes from a Greek word meaning something like anointing or more generally to, to rub or to smear, the, the idea being that oil was often smeared on someone when they took on a certain role. Kings or priests were anointed with oil. The Christ, the anointed one, would be that one who would recapitulate the royal and priestly offices of Israel and thus be the savior and redeemer of the world. The name Son of God is, is a bit more controversial in how we are to understand it, both on the lips of Simon and in our current usage of it. But for my part, I think when Simon utters this title, he is at least using it to say something of Jesus' divine origin and his connection to God the Father. I'm not sure he had full-blown Nicene orthodoxy in mind when he said it, but what he says is both consistent with, and I think the seeds of, what the church would make more explicit in the centuries to follow. As to say, I think that when Simon, what Simon is saying here is directly linked to what we'll have the opportunity to say in a few moments, that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, eternally begotten from the Father, as the Nicene Creed states. Simon confesses that his teacher, this rabbi Jesus, is the fulfillment of the promises made to Israel concerning the Messiah and that he has a divine origin. These are two things that the people hadn't yet begun to realize about Jesus. And this realization and confession, indeed this profession, Simon Peter makes would have profound implications for him for the rest of his life. And, and moreover, furthermore, I think we get a clue that what Simon Peter said is in fact the right answer, that the answer Jesus was looking for. Jesus says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus blesses Simon for saying this and, and teaches him that his saying this was not something that naturally arose from within him, but with something that only comes from the supernatural empowerment of God the Father. And this, I think, is significant for us as well. Jesus shows us here that, that there are some things that we can know about him only if we're enabled by God. Anyone could have looked at Jesus and said, well, that's Jesus, the son of Mary. 
And plenty of people, it seems, did look at Jesus and, and think that. And maybe they thought, maybe, well, there's a little bit more perhaps going on to this guy. Maybe he's got something to do with God. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's a prophet. But it took something not natural, something supernatural, for Simon Peter to express these deep truths about Jesus. And the same, I think, holds for us. So Simon Peter used particular names and titles for Jesus, showing that Simon took him to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus gives Simon a new name to mark this significant event. Changing someone's name is like kind of a thing for God. We see a smattering of this all throughout the Old Testament. And it's usually because there's some new kind of relational or contextual dynamic at play between God and the person he's renaming. Abram becomes Abraham when God makes a covenant with him. Sarai becomes Sarah when she learns that she's to become the mother of Isaac. Jacob becomes Israel when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and came into his inheritance as a descendant of Abraham. Here in this conversation between Simon Peter and Jesus, I think a similar event occurs. Simon gets a new name as he has truly professed a new realization of Jesus' status as the Messiah and the Son of God. In verse 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter. Now, maybe you know this already, but the Greek word for, for rock is Petros. So Peter is like a play on the words of Jesus saying, On this rock I will build my church. Sort of like calling Simon Rocky, I think. Now, now strictly speaking, I think what happened here was not that Simon Peter had his name changed, but actually that he was given a new name, a nickname, Peter, in addition to his family name, Simon. Sort of like how I was both James and Jamie. I think this is why Matthew in verse 16 refers to him as Simon Peter, and throughout the rest of the New Testament he's referred to sometimes as Simon, sometimes as Peter, sometimes as Simon Peter. But this moment in the gospel narrative, this moment in Simon Peter's life, when he said that Jesus was the Son of God, this was such a significant moment, one that was so profound and, and so deep, that Jesus gave him a new name to mark this new relational dynamic that Jesus and Simon Peter had entered into. By this profession, Simon Peter put himself into a new context, a context where he was committing to live with Jesus as his Lord, his teacher, his Savior, and his God. And his new name would forever be a reminder to him of this conversion. In fact, I sort of wonder if whenever Jesus called him Peter, if Peter was sort of jolted into remembering the vocation that he had to follow Jesus and to be that rock on which the church would be built. And I sort of wonder if something similar might happen to us as we kind of find ourselves in, in Peter's sandals. I've said before from this pulpit, and I'll probably say again, I think the most profound and momentous question in the whole of Scripture is what Jesus asked of his disciples here. Who do you say that I am? And this question is not just a question for his first century disciples or for Simon Peter. It's a question for us all. And Peter gives us the pattern for the right response. When Jesus asks you and asks me, who do you say that I am, we're to respond as Peter did. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are my Savior. You are my God. And as this had profound implications for Peter, so too does it for us. I don't think we can just utter that phrase truly, deeply, without also realizing the new relational dynamics that open up for us. 
That is, if Jesus is the Christ, if we confess him as the Son of the living God, well, we better pay attention to him at the first. I mean, if he's not, if he's not these things, if your name for Jesus is just interesting guy or mythical figure or religious teacher, well, then Jesus is just going to have to compete for your attention like every other influencer on the planet. But if you look at Jesus here in the pages of Scripture or, or in the, the, ter- the church's worship or even in your mind's eye and you say, this Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, well, then this is going to influence everything. Everything about how you think or work or act, whatever you're doing here is going to be influenced by this truth. This is going to cause you to live a new life a new life patterned on the life that Jesus Christ lived. And that new life is going to need a new name, just like Simon Peter got. The tradition in our culture of demarcating someone's Christian name has largely fallen out of practice. We don't quite do that anymore. The idea here was that when at baptism, someone would get their their Christian name in addition to their family name. We don't do that much anymore, yet our, our liturgy for baptism still includes a moment when the priest asks the parents or the, or the sponsors to name this child. And the child is given a name, and the priest then baptizes that child with that name, where the child becomes not just a child of his or her parents, but a child of God. And in fact, later on, the priest then smears oil on the head of the child and says, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. What if for those of us who have been baptized, what if every time someone uses our name, we are jolted into remembering our vocation to be a child of God, to follow Jesus, and to live as one who is marked as Christ's own forever? Well, let me just in closing offer three domains, perhaps, in which, this, in which our naming Jesus as Christ and Lord and his naming us as his own can have an impact. Three areas, worship, ethics, and evangelism. So first in worship, in the domain of worship, if Jesus is God, then we're compelled to worship him. Only God is worthy of worship. Only God is worthy of praise and honor and devotion. Nothing else is. And if Jesus is as Peter said he was, and we join with Peter in saying, Jesus is God, then we are invited to worship Jesus Christ as well. And we who have taken the name of Christian ought above all else to worship our namesake, Jesus Christ. Second, in the domain of ethics, our our behavior, our contact, our our relationships with one another, if Jesus is God, then we ought to do what he has said. Every Sunday we begin our liturgy with a summation of the law, that that is a weekly reminder that Jesus, uh, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of God, has given us the instructions to love God with with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we call Jesus by the name of God, but don't love those around us, treating them as we'd want to be treated, well, then we are living divided and, and disintegrated lives. We're not in harmony with ourselves, with our confession. We're not in harmony with our world. We're not in harmony with our God. Our naming Jesus as God and his naming us as his own has not just implications for our vertical relational dynamics with him, but also the horizontal ones as we strive to live as Jesus taught us with one another. And then finally, in the domain of evangelism. Now I'm going to tell you to do exactly the opposite of what Jesus tells his disciples to do. Normally it's a bad idea, 
But what I mean is simply this. In verse 20, Jesus says this. Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. He's not making a once-for-all-time rule. That's a, that's a provisional instruction until Jesus' resurrection. When we get to the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, this, this overrules this provisional instruction. And there Jesus instructs his followers to tell all people, tell all the nations, in fact, about his name and this role for Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And that's a charge that transfers over to us here and all those who have taken on this name as a Christian, a follower of Christ. And here's where I think actually all three of these are, all three of these implications are integrated into one another. Our worship and our ethics, our behavior should be attractive. I don't mean just pretty, although it can be that. I mean, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, worshiping Jesus Christ as God, and living according to his guidelines should be something that draws others to Christ as well. Those who do not know the name of Jesus Christ, and thus they don't know that he is the Son of God, should be attracted to him by the way we love God and love one another. Who do we say Jesus is? Do we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord? Do we confess with our lives that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? When we use this name for Jesus, which refers to the reality of his divinity, his authority, what does this entail for our own lives? When we are called by our names, as we are reminded of our roles as God's children, how does this implicate, have implications for our, la- our life, our behavior, and our conduct? May we then, when we are faced with this question, who will you say that I am, respond with Simon Peter in saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.